Welcome to Prep Talk, the emergency management podcast. Find out what you need to know about preparedness, get all the latest tips from experts in the field, and learn what to do before the next disaster strikes. From the emergency management department in the city that never sleeps, here are your hosts, Omar Bourne and Allison Panisi. Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening. I'm Omar Bourne. And I'm Allison Panisi. And you are our listeners. And as always, we thank you for joining us. We have been away for the past few months as we work together to slow the spread of COVID-19 here in New York City. Omar and I have been doing our best to keep socially distant. For example, I've been working from home and I'm currently coming to you live from my house. That's right, Allison. Uh, I am also social distancing, also working from home. As New York City continues to slowly improve, that is a testament, as we know, to the great work that New Yorkers have been doing in wearing their face coverings and practicing social distancing. So we want to encourage everyone to continue these practices because they are making a difference. These are unprecedented times. COVID-19 is taking a toll on our physical emotional, and mental well-being. From doctors, nurses, and healthcare workers, first responders on the front lines of this battle, to everyone who may have lost a loved one, everyone is affected in some way. Uh, Our hearts goes out to those who have been affected by this pandemic. That's right, Omar. Uh, With everything going on around us, We often stop and think, what are the mental implications of a pandemic? And how can we maintain our mental health and well-being during difficult times like this? We have a special guest who is here to help us answer those questions. Ali Geith is a professional disaster mental health counselor and a certified emergency manager. Mr. Geith has responded to many crises in New York City since 9-11. In 2010, he was assigned as a regional coordinator for a citywide H1N1 campaign to vaccinate New Yorkers. Uh, Mr. Geith, or Ali, is uh, dedicated to improving the quality of life for people with mental illness through public education, informational activities, and raising awareness to move the mental health agenda forward. So, uh, Ali, thank you very much for being here. Welcome to Prep Talk. Thank you, Alison and Omar, for having me. I'm glad to be with you. I'm glad to be speaking about this important issue, especially during this time of crisis that we are facing, uh, not just uh, citywide, but uh, state, nation, and uh, global world. Thank you very much. Uh, So let's get right into it. Now, May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and uh, as we've mentioned, Uh, we are in difficult and unprecedented times. So Ali, can you describe the importance and significance of this month in helping people cope with stress? And what are the mental implications of a pandemic such as COVID-19? Actually, mental health is as important as physical health. However, uh, most of the time people monitor their physical health and they tend to neglect or ignore at all uh, taking care of their mental health. Uh, mental health should be an everyday thing, like physical health. It should be monitored. It should be nourished. Mental health problems are as common as physical 
or even more uh, common than the physical health problems. As a matter of fact, one out of five adult Americans and young Americans experience mental health problems any given year. The numbers even could be higher. Those are the ones who have been tested and examined and assessed. Uh, but however, when we speak of mental health, uh, we cannot go on talking about without addressing the issue of stigma that is associated with mental health problems. Uh, whatever you go throughout the United States and New York City, when you're dealing with different cultural groups, people always talk about stigma. There is a negativity when it comes to thinking about mental health, and a lot of people see this as an issue of weaknesses, and they don't want to talk about mental health because the stigma often keeps people away from seeking professional mental health counseling or services that needed. And other issue, you know, especially with this month, to understand that many people are not well informed about mental health problems. Most of mental health problems happen, about half of them by the age of 14, and three-quarter of mental health problems happen by the age of 24. So this is a time when young people are developing, and often people interpret this as uh, this is part of the growing up, this is part of being an adolescent, when the person might be actually developing some type of uh, mental health problems. Other issues you know, to consider here is that professional help is not always in hand. For example, <clears throat> if I grab into my chest and as if I'm having a heart attack, you're going to find a lot of people out there who, are, who know how to do CPR. Symptoms of heart attack are similar, very similar to symptoms of a panic attack, which is a mental illness. You know, if you compare how many people can address heart attack and help someone comparing someone who's having a panic attack. Not like they don't want to help, but they often don't know how to respond because of that fear, that stigma, lack of understanding. In general, when people become anxious, they think this is part of life. Life is stressful and not understanding that they might be developing uh, some type of mental health problem. And when you live in a city as fast as as New York, where so much happening, uh, people experience some type of anxiety, sometimes with stressors, when there's a confusion between normal stressors to day-to-day -day life compared to the stressors caused by anxiety that can be debilitating and that can be harming to the person. It is important in that recognize these signs and symptoms and get into treatment as early as possible. Early intervention matters. And the sooner you speak to a professional about this, uh, most likely will you recover much faster, much quicker, and stay in recovery, and then do well. Now, these are the type of things that we need to think about. You know, I know month of May is mental health month, but we have to think about these things on daily basis as we move forward with our life, not just for ourselves, but for our loved ones. So I'm glad, Ali, you brought up how mental health issues uh, can affect people, you know, at a very young age as we're growing up and developing. And, and we know this working in emergency management, that disasters affect people differently. Um, so what are some steps people can take to help cope with COVID-19 specifically? 
Uh, here are some of the things that you can do to manage and alleviate your tiff uh, by taking time to take care of yourself. It's very important to keep things in perspective. Set limits on how much time you spend reading or watching the news. You will want to stay up to date on news of the outbreak, particularly if you have loved ones in places where many people have gotten sick, and we see this here in the city, of course. But make sure to take time away from the news to focus on things in your life that are going well and that you can control. Uh, second, get the facts. Find people and resources you can depend on for accurate self-information. Learn from them about the outbreak and how you can protect yourself against illness. Keep yourself healthy. Eat healthy food and drink water. Avoid excessive amounts of caffeine. And this is one thing people often do. They drink a lot of coffee and caffeine. After a while, it starts adding more to the anxiety. And unfortunately, some people start drinking more alcohol or self-medicating. Don't use tobacco or illegal drugs. Always consult with your doctor. Get enough sleep and rest and get some physical exercise. I love it. That is great information. And... I like the fact that you say take a break, uh, especially from the news, because you people can become so overwhelmed with uh, just listening to the news uh, and trying to stay up to date with what's going on that, you know, they become bombarded with, with just everything that is going on. For me, I like to uh, sometimes listen to some sports radio just to get my mind off of uh, everything that's going on. And then I also like to drink a lot of water. I know, as you said, a lot of people uh, drink coffee. So uh, for our listeners out there, during this time, water, how about tea, Ali? I'm a tea person. I was never really a coffee person. I'm, is tea a good option? <laughs> I love tea as long as it is decaffeinated. Even if you drink coffee, okay, make sure you like the taste of coffee. Make sure it's decaffeinated because lots of caffeine can ignite anxiety, so it's not really helpful. I know for a fact I need my coffee in the morning, but after that, you know, if I need something later uh, in the evening hour, I would drink anything that's tea or coffee that is decaffeinated. It, it's it's very important that you we learn how to be practical and learn how to relax our body by doing things that work for me. So what may work for me may not work for for others. For example, taking deep breaths, stretching, meditating, washing face and washing hands, or engaging in pleasurable hobbies. You know, it's important to pace yourself between the stressful activities and do fun things after hard work. Use time off to relax and eat good meals. So here's an important thing to realize that our body during stressful time is start craving for not the healthy food. We start craving for carbs. We start for sugary things. And, uh, you know, after a while, it takes toll on the mental health because whatever happened in our stomach, the enzymes, the bacteria, have an impact on our mind and our emotion. Talk about your feelings to loved ones and friends. You know, often helpful. Talk to people who are non-judgmental, people who accept you for who you are. Stay connected with them. That's extremely helpful. 
So this is kind of having a perfect friend, someone who accepts you for who you are, genuine to your feeling, and shows some kind of empathy. We all have to be best friends nowadays. A lot of great points here, Ali. Allison, I don't know about you. I have developed a sweet tooth of late uh, that I've found. I've been craving a lot of Snickers. I try only to eat sweets uh, once a week, but um, how about how about you? Anything on your end? I don't know if I've had any cravings per se, um, but we've made the joke on the show before that, Omar, you're not you when you're hungry. And I feel like the, <laughs> this is like a great plug for Snickers right now. Um, I will say, though, I will say, I think that emergencies like this one really do change your perspective. And, um, you know, Ali, you, you touched on empathy. I think that it allows us in, in, in a very, very uh, surreal and bittersweet way Sometimes it allows us to really see things from a different perspective. Um, maybe we would reach out to people that we haven't been in touch with as often and even allowing you to establish a different type of routine. For me personally, I found that during this time, I'm doing a lot of work from home. Um, I have my children with me as well. Being able to establish a routine with them that we get up in the morning at a certain time, we do certain activities during the day or in the evening, and even keeping with certain routines like story time at bedtime, uh, things like that, have really also allowed me to, you know, keep moving forward. Um, because I think that this is a time where people will struggle and do struggle. But to point out the fact that, you know, we need to be there for each other and have that empathy. And what one person is experiencing is not what another person is experiencing. Um, it's very important that we continue to move forward and to, and to speak with each other and even not even just be a best friend to someone else, but be a best friend to ourselves um, and have that mm -hmm. self-care. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, you bring up a lot of great points. I know for me, uh, you know, a lot of my family are away overseas. And so it's a matter of, you know, getting on the phone and, calling them or FaceTiming with my mother and my grandmother and just checking in on them to make sure that they're okay and to connect with them as well to make sure that I'm keeping the connection and, and you know, just checking in, dropping a kind word and, and seeing how everyone is doing. Whether it's a call, a, a text, you know, you really want to make sure that you're connecting with others. Ali, you mentioned one out of five Americans experience mental health issues. And You've spoken a lot here about anxiety. So would you say that anxiety is the number one mental health problem here in this country or for people in general? Yes. And it's very important for us also to think about, you know, our pop culture. When we think about mental health, mental illnesses, we think about what we see in the TV, in the media, or Hollywood, you know, posters. Uh, often people think, Mental illnesses mean schizophrenia or schizoaffective disorder or bipolar disorder, when actually the number one mental health problem that impacts adults and young Americans at any given year is anxiety. Uh, one out of five experience mental health problem any sort, but anxiety is the number one illness. And the median age for anxiety here is 11 years old. A lot of studies have shown that 50% above 11 and 50% below 11. That means you could be a 6-year-old or 80-year-old and you can develop anxiety disorders. And anxiety disorder have 
some subtypes of anxiety lines, like post-traumatic stress disorder, obsessive compulsive disorder, uh, or panic attack. So it is common for young people as young as six, seven, to have anxiety disorder. And just think about, if you're that age, how this would impact the way you live, love, laugh, and love. This can be debilitating. But it's important to keep in mind, all these illnesses are treatable, and people do recover, especially if you bring them in to uh, treatment in the early stages, they tend to recover and, and do well. And other issues we need to think about, you know, anxiety and depression go hand in hand. It's common if you have anxiety that you will develop depression. And if you have depression, you will develop anxiety. So there's more than one thing. And here these we call mood disorders. So it's very important to seek help for anxiety. And we know the number one cause of mental health problems, especially anxiety and depression, is trauma. So what we're dealing with right now is a traumatic event for all of us. So, yeah, all disasters have an impact, and no one sees a disaster untouched by it. Also, it's important to keep in mind that for adult Americans, about 70% before COVID-19 have experienced at least one trauma in their lifetime. So that's over 225 million people. This traumatic event that we're dealing with right now have touched the entire population. So it's very important to monitor your mental health because this trauma can lead to anxiety. Thank you for that, Ali. Um, as we've mentioned, uh, different mental illnesses, anxiety um, being one of them, uh, can take physical, emotional, and behavioral tolls. How can an individual identify the warning signs that he or she is ex experiencing uh, mental anxiety? Thank you, Alison, for this question. It's really important that people monitor their mental health. So if you have persistent sadness, anxious, or empty mood, or if you are sleeping too much or sleeping too little, if you lose interest of pleasurable activities that you normally enjoyed, if you become restless or irritable, if you have persistent physical symptoms that don't just go away with, you know, typical treatment, if you have difficulty concentrating, remembering, or making decisions, if you feel fatigued or you lose your energy, if you have a feeling of guilt, hopelessness, or worthlessness, this is very important because a lot of these things, that the feeling of guilt, hopelessness, and worthlessness can lead even to self-harm and unfortunately sometimes can lead to suicidal thoughts. So anything that impacts in your mental health you have to take it very seriously, and these are some of the things that we recommend for people to monitor. So it is very important that you pay attention to your body, feeling, and spirit. It's important that you recognize and heed early warning signs of stress, to recognize how your own past experience affects your way of thinking and feeling about this event and think of how you handled your thoughts, emotions, and behavior around past events. So past experiences should help us uh, cope you know, more positively with what we are going through right now. 
as I mentioned earlier, about 70% of the population experience some type of the trauma. So what have we learned? What are some of the lessons learned that we can incorporate to this one? And not that feeling stressed, depressed, guilty, or angry is common. And that's what often people misinterpret. They think they are developing mental health problems, but most of these feelings are common. And often people use positive coping skills to, uh, to take care of themselves. Uh, you know, especially after outbreaks like, you know, the one we've seen now, even if it doesn't directly, it threatens the person. And we spoke about connection. Connect with others who may be experiencing stress about the outbreak. You will learn from others. You will connect. And it's important for people to know that you're not alone. If needed, take time to renew your spirit, you know, through meditation, prayer, or helping others in need. Simple thing as finding an elderly person or someone in your community who might need your help to pick up, you know, a few things for them here and there. Volunteering can can give you that sense of positivity, uh, and that's what we need to think about. What makes us happy? What? How can we enjoy our life and do things? Uh, because this brings a lot of opportunities to bring the good out of us. Like you mentioned, Alison, you have to know how to take care of yourself if you want to take care of others. And I have to say, because we're speaking with first responders, when it comes to first responders, unfortunately, they're not good about taking care of themselves. They always think taking care of others is more important than taking care of themselves. So take care of yourself so you can take care of others. Very, very well said, Ali. Um, Thank you. Pay attention to your body, your mind, your spirit. Make sure you're taking care of yourself. We are talking to Ali Geet, professional disaster mental health counselor and certified emergency manager. We are going to take a look at psychological first aid and how it can help battle anxiety and mental illness. But first, here's a public service announcement from New York City Health Commissioner, Dr. Barbo. Hi, New Yorkers. This is Health Commissioner Dr. Oxidis Barbo with an urgent message. New Yorkers need to stay home to stop the spread of coronavirus. If you must go out for basics like groceries and medicine, practice social distancing, and keep at least six feet of space between yourself and other people. Avoid crowds and, again, put distance between yourself and others in line at the store and on the street. For alerts from the city, text COVID COVID to 692-692. You're listening to Prep Talk, the emergency management podcast. We are back. We are talking with Ali Geith, professional disaster mental health counselor. So Ali, let's talk about psychological first aid. What is psychological first aid and how can someone practice it? Psychological first aid is an evidence-informed module approach for assessing people in the immediate aftermath of disasters. Its goal uh, goes to reduce initial distress and to foster short and long-term adaptive functioning. It is for use by first responders, incident command systems, primary and emergency healthcare providers, school crisis response team, faith-based organization, you know, disaster relief organization, emergency, uh, you know, search teams, medical reserve corps for all of the above. And you don't have to be a clinician. Anyone 
can learn psychological first aid. It, ha- it is easy to use. It's an early intervention. It may minimize and alleviate the stress. The first thing is safety. Safety is very important. During time of disaster, people want to make sure that they are safe. People are not absorbing and not processing things as they usually do. So sometimes you have to find out yourself that you are providing repeated, simple, accurate information in how to obtain these basic services or by providing them with these basic services. And the other step is to promote calm. And often this is one thing that we encourage, especially first responders. And here we're not talking about first responders. I'm not just talking about people who are formally in this role, but a mom at home can be the first responder, you know, a dad, or, you know, you can be the first responder in your, uh, you know, uh, in your building. This is, we're talking about formal and informal first responders, but here it works for both. Uh, promote calm. People often watch your body language. They watch what you do. So everything that you do is monitored by others. You need to listen to people non-judgmentally, and that's extremely important. Uh, people don't like to be labeled, and they want to be listened to, and sometimes people like to share the stories without knowing uh, that someone is judging them. We have to be friendly and compassionate as much as possible and offer accurate information about the incident or what happened, not just to say anything to calm someone down. And we spoke about connectedness. This is another step. And it's important. Now we keep talking about social distancing, connectedness. Help people contact, connect with their friends and their loved ones. That's what really minimizes their anxiety. And now we're experiencing uh, this with, you know, connectedness with older adults who are uh, isolated in, you know, wherever they're staying in these uh, senior centers. And isolation and lack of connectedness for older adults can be one of the major risk factors for developing anxieties and depression. During times of disaster, we try if it's safe to keep families together and always keep children with their parents or closed relatives. And speaking of children, uh, even disasters like this can have a psychological impact on children. Very young children may express anxiety, stress by going back to some sucking or wetting the bed at night. They may fear sickness. They will start feeling strangers, darkness, or seeing monsters. It is fairly common for children, even as young as the preschoolers, to become clingy with their parents or caregivers during times of disaster. So you might notice this in young people. Uh, other thing we have to promote hope, and promoting hope is extremely important. You know, people have to know that things are going to be improved in the future, and uh, there are, they're not alone. There are other people who are feeling the same thing, and there are many others out there, you know, from professional healthcare workers to first responders who are out there to help them if it's by providing health safety for them or by providing food or, uh, you know, government that, uh, that works for them. 
Uh, other important factor here, step in psychological first aid, is to promote self-efficacy. Self-efficacy is an extremely important step. You want to empower people to take care of themselves. You want them to be able to stand on their feet because everyone feels different. Everyone reacted differently. And often, often, people thrive and they become more competent if they have the appropriate support. And you go through an emergency crisis or disaster, when you promote self-efficacy, you're empowering the person to come up with a new normal for them and be able to uh, survive from uh, this experience and become more, uh, more resilient. So these are the five simple steps that we take in providing uh, psychological first aid, and this can be learned by anyone. If you remember the steps, the simple steps, what safety, what does it mean to be calm, and what is connectedness and hope, and how to promote self-efficacy. Uh, this has been studied and showed that it does alleviate stress. And remember, again, we spoke about trauma and stress are the number one cause of mental health problems. So if you follow these simple steps and anyone can do this, you are doing a big service to the person and you helping them to avoid having any type of mental health problem in the future. I'm glad that you, you brought up self-care. Um, and these are, it seems like you've addressed some of the tips that people can really practice um, to promote self-care. And I like what you talked about with checking up on, on other people. Uh, for example, during emergencies, we always like to mention to check in on neighbors. And obviously with social distancing, there's many ways in which we can do that. Call, text, FaceTime. We want to really Remember that even though you are being social distanced, you can still stay close to your friends and family. There's a lot of measures out there that you can take to ensure that you're still staying close to your loved ones, even though we are socially distanced. What are some of the things that we do not want people to do uh, in practicing psychological first aid? Let's start with the dogs when it comes to psychological first aid. You don't make promises that you cannot keep because if you can't keep those promises, you're going to lose trust with that person. It's all based on trust. Don't give advice. Leave the advice to professionals. Mental Psychological first aid has its own limitation. Don't dismiss the problem or emotion. Uh, you know, by saying to someone, oh, this is all what you're worried about, you know, Look at your neighbors or look at others. They have it worse than you. Uh, that is a no, no, we don't do. Don't focus on right versus wrong. This is the right way of dealing with it, and this is the wrong way. That's not for us to, uh, to decide on what's right and what's wrong. And don't try to fix the problem yourself. You are there to provide the support. Or oh, never engage in communication that is belittling, sarcastic, hostile, or patronizing with the person who is experiencing the trauma. This will not be helpful. Don't force people to share their stories. And don't give 
simple reassurance is that everything is going to be okay. And don't tell people how they should feel. We all feel differently. And very importantly, never ever criticize existing services or relief. So these are the most important things about what we should not do when we are providing psychological first aid. Thank you, Ali. And what about the do's of psychological first aid? What are the things that we should be doing? These are very important things to keep in mind, Allison. The do's. What do we do? We have to have realistic expectations. This is not like, you know, licking a light switch and you're going to expect things just the second day to wake up and feel better. Or you give someone the magic pill and they're going to feel better. It takes time for people to recover. It varies from one person to another. And when you offer emotional support, make sure it's consistent. What you did today, you probably need to continue doing tomorrow and the day after, and sometimes for weeks and months. And give the person hope by giving them reassurance and provide practical help. What works for them, not what you think might work for them. And provide information, not advice. Earlier we said don't provide advice, provide information. Information about the services, information about what's going on, truthful information. Acknowledge the limit of what you can do. Unless you are trained a clinical professional as a psychological first aider, you have limitation. You are noticing things, and you're providing the support to what you can do and help them by following the five steps we spoke about earlier. So acknowledge that limitation. Help people meet their basic needs, and be friendly and compassionate. Be genuine. Learn to accept people for who they are uh, at this moment and help people connect with family and loved ones. Listen non-judgmentally. And the best way of doing this, when you notice something with someone, just say rather than what's wrong with you, start your statement with the I statement. I have noticed. I have observed. For example, you're not joining us lately for dinner. You're not doing what, you know, if there's anything I can help. So use the word help as much as possible. Try to be careful with the words that come out uh, of how we're approaching someone because this is an opportunity where it can make or break that relationship. So I always advise people to say, uh, to start with, I have noticed, how can I help? Encourage self-help. This is really empowering, and it enhances confidence and competence. So, Ali, where can people go to get help? Um, are there resources available for individuals that maybe don't have a barrier to cost that might be free for people to access a mental health counselor or, or assistance? So there are a lot of free resources here offered in the city. One of them you mentioned, Allison, which is a NYC Well, 188 NYC Well. This is confidential, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Or you may want to text to 65173. Text the word well to 65173, and crisis counselors and uh, mental health professionals will reach out to you. And also they, we have another national disaster distress helpline, uh, and the number there is 1-800-985-5990. Or you can text to six six seven four six the word uh, the word talk with us, and they will direct you to local resources. Uh, 
And again, because we mentioned earlier, sometimes these kind of stresses can cause a lot of anxiety. And when people start feeling hopeless and hopeless, we're always noticing, we're always assessing. If you think someone starts thinking about harming themselves or having suicidal thoughts, we have to call the suicide hotline, which is 1-800-273-TALK, T-A-L-K, or just text HELP to 741-741. That's when the person becomes suicidal. And in extreme cases, of course, we will call 911. And if you forget about all these numbers, the easiest number to remember here in New York City, which we are fortunate, is to have 311. And 311 can help guide you to all the available resources. And again, because the stigma that associated with mental health and sometimes that kind of fear, I want to remind people that a lot of our primary care physicians are well-grounded in the area of mental health. Start by talking to your primary care physician, not just about your physical well-being, but about your emotional and your mood and how this is impacting you. But that's extremely important to discussion to have with your primary care physician. Thank you for that, Ali. All really important phone numbers, which we will provide to our listeners uh, in the description of this episode. Remember, at the end, you know, people can thrive following a traumatic event. This can enhance their competence. Not everything following a disaster is a negative thing. If you have the appropriate support, the appropriate information and knowledge, that will be a lesson learned and can empower people to become more resilient. Thank you. And I think that's an important lesson for our listeners, that mental health is a positive thing. Um, And May is Mental Health Awareness Month, but this is something that we should acknowledge all year round. Um, For our listeners, we know that COVID-19 is a challenging time for all of us. Be sure to take care of yourselves and each other. Speaking with Ali Geese, Disaster Mental Health Counselor and Certified Emergency Manager. Again, thank you for joining us for Prep Talk. Thank you for having me. That's this episode of Prep Talk. If you like what you heard, you can listen anytime online or through your favorite RSS feed. Until next time, stay safe and prepared.